lots of people can go door to door. Lots of people can put up posters. Lots of people can make phone calls. What is the difference between the way Stacey Abrams did it and somebody else? It's that someone who writes romance novels, someone who is a storyteller, who understands the human condition, who understands people's fantasies. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lainey. I'm the editor of LaineyGossip.com. I am a talk show host in Canada and an entertainment reporter. And I am almost finished my Christmas shopping. I am Duana Taha. I am a television writer and producer, and I am playing a certain video from this weekend on a loop for the last 20 odd years. On this episode, per your request, we are talking about Stacey Abrams, the work of Stacey Abrams, especially during the U.S. presidential election. But I think we're going to take it to a place you may not expect. Why people's most uh, base instincts may be her (laughs) secret weapon that helped her make a historical political change. And the work of beloved Alex Trebek, the host of Jeopardy for 30 plus years. Why we have a particular connection to him that may have been the reason he was such an iconic host. We will pay tribute and discuss what a kind of iconic host he was. This is Show Your Work. So you love Christmas. You love gifts. I love giving gifts. Yeah, I mean, we can get into later how you are a hard person to gift to, but let me ask you a question. Do you think that it's possible for us to be entering the age of digital gifts? Here's what I mean. I don't mean like a gift certificate or something like that. Um, Obviously, as we record this, it's been an incredible weekend. Um, And some of the things that happened on social media that people sent to us or that we sent to each other or so forth like those are the greatest gifts going, right? I, I'm putting the T on the end of gifts, but it, yeah. they could also be gifts in some cases. Yes? Yes. Like, for example, uh, the one I sent you that I was happiest, obviously when you want to send one of those things, like a viral moment or whatever, you want to be the first person to send it to somebody else, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the one that I was really happy to have sent to you was uh, the party at the gas station in Las Feliz yes. uh, where uh, a bunch of people were uh, partying to All I Want for Christmas, Mariah Carey. And since you've been gone, Kelly Clarkson. Right. And the person on who was dancing on the top of the car, which had a speaker on it, uh, is Demi Adjuibe, who is, of course, the September 21st guy. 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, like that was pretty good. I was pretty happy to send that to you. And I assume I you better say it just for the podcast. You were pretty happy to receive. Yes? I was very happy to receive. Um, it is also it's also like, you know, there there are certain songs in certain circles that just get you hype. For us in our circle, since you've been gone, I mean, our friend group for the last whatever, how long has that song been out? For 15 years or so. Um, you know, whenever that song comes on, when we're having a house party, pre-COVID days, a dance party or whatever, we all go batshit fucking bananas. Yeah, absolutely. The playlist is like, since you've been gone, um, I didn't see Winnie anything. Houston. <laughs> oh, obviously. Um, how will I know? I think is, yeah. is, yeah. But, um, Rihanna umbrella, which I haven't seen any viral yes. to yet. But that's a big one for us. We're really dating yeah. ourselves here. And then speaking of viral videos, the other one that was like the biggest, biggest gift this weekend um, was the Sister Act 2 video, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. basically traces kind of the the Democratic win, right? <laughs> Through by the day. It most assigns, of 2020. Yeah. It assigns day value. So this was Tuesday and then Tuesday needed to turn into Wednesday. And this, if you haven't seen, we'll, we'll try and post it. If you haven't seen the sister act to, um, meme, I guess is, is what the kids call it. It's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, half of you sent it to me. Uh, I opened (laughs) Instagram. I had like 20 notifications from people just sending it to me, which was amazing. Miriam and many others sent us the control room video of Cuba Gooding Jr. winning his Oscar because they knew that that is exactly the kind of work porn that we love. Um, So yeah, this is my question. Are we going to get to a point where at a certain point, you know, like you can make anything super personal for somebody else? uh, And we should say, uh, in in some ways, we were the granddaddy of that because you guys made me my own Sister Act 2 video for my wedding. Um, So are we at the point where a digital gift, a, a meme or media gift can be a legit actual present? I will say that yes, but I think it has to be like a mixtape. You know, it can't just be one. It would have to be a collection, curated, right? Like, um, you know, the Since You've Been Gone gas station one could not just be a standalone. I think it has to be a package. I buy that for sure. But it's also like since we're all living at home and, you know, a lot of people are having financial struggles, but also not spending money in places where we used to, like, you know, lunch out at work or this or that or whatever. If you need something, you kind of just buy it, right? Yeah. So um, we acquired a chessboard over here recently that I was like, yeah, that was a good purchase. Um, so I kind of feel like- And you giving... haven't started Queen's Gambit yet, right? Oh, you yeah. No, acquired... I have. Since we okay. since we talked last, that's a whole other conversation we're going to have to have. Um Okay. But uh, my favorite thing is a tweet yesterday that said, uh, the Queen's Gambit is just Aquila and the Bee, but white and with chess. Uh-huh. Um, and so we watched Aquila and the Bee last night, and uh, I can, can confirm. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like nobody needs any more objects, right? So yeah. is this an era? Is this a trend? Are we going to get to the point? Can I hire Demi Agdijuibe to send 
people presence and basically people, I mean me, um, like, is that where we're going? Discuss. Well, and also there's your idea, courtesy Duanna, if you are looking for virtual gifts um, that do not cost anything except for your imaginative curation, there you go. It is the season. I love that idea. Curate somebody an album of all the best moments of whoever they like. Don't say it, Elaine. Don't say it. Um, I really, I think that's great. I like that idea. Yeah. And I should say, yes, get on it, everybody, because I am pretty much done my Christmas shopping or Christmas gifting. Uh, that <laughs> I just had to, I had well, to see that look on your face because it happens every year when I say it and it's like basically the beginning of November and I tell you I'm done and your face, that is my gift. That's not actually what I was cautioning you, cautioning you to not say. Uh, I <laughs> wanted you to not say somebody make me uh, like a BTS compilation because that's already well happened and you've spent hours upon hours yes, uh, on YouTube I've seen for it. them. So, yeah. all right. Very good. All right. So let's get started on this week's agenda. And a few of you asked for um, asked for us to talk about this person and the show your work of this person. I'm talking about Stacey Abrams of Uh Georgia. Um, So we're going to talk about the show your work that we saw. I mean, we're going to focus on the headlines that came out last week during the U.S. election and the results and all of that. But of course, a lot of this work has been happening unseen, uncredited for many, many months, many, many years. But yes, uh, thank you for your suggestions about Stacey Abrams. We are, yes, let us let us talk about Stacey Abrams. Right. Stacey Abrams, uh, also, of course, known by her nom de plume. Uh, <laughs> did, if you did not know that Stacey Abrams writes romance novels mm-hmm. under the name Selena Montgomery... You may already have read a Stacey Abrams book without knowing it. Um, This is part of the reason that this woman is becoming such a legend, right? She contains multitudes. I just want to, like, I can read you the titles of these books. Let's go. Let's go. Well, okay. So we have... Give us five. uh, Never Tell, Deception, (laughs) The Art of Desire. Uh Uh-huh. Hidden Sins. Yes. Uh, let's see. One more. Reckless. Mm-hmm. Now, what you might not be getting from uh, these titles is uh, Never Tell looks maybe a bit creepy. The tagline on the front is Her Secrets Run Deep. Uh, there's one called Rules of Engagement that is has a cover with two models like outside cuddling. But let I me tell it. you. Did you really? Yeah, I did. All right. We all know I'm like a fucking horny book person. So, well, you just stepped on my reveal, Uh um, which is that one looks like people are outside. The rest of these books are all, all the covers are shot by candlelight. They involve people being entwined. I am one of the people for whom hearing that somebody writes romance Mm-hmm. does not necessarily evoke what they are, which is professionally published and bound erotica. Yes? Yes. Yes. Amazing. 
amazing Stacey Abrams, Selena Montgomery, we love you. Like, this is, this is spectacular. Um, yeah, there are several that I'm like, I'm going to press purchase on my Kindle even <laughs> as we speak. Um, but this is kind of what's amazing, right? Like, this, I think, is the big reveal for people who didn't know. Uh, I have all these books amalgamated in an article from Oprah, uh, like the theopramagazine.com. But... This is kind of what's happening, right? After everybody was so elated on the weekend when the win finally came through. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I'm not Dave Chappelle. I'm not going to be like, think about the people who aren't as happy. I No, sorry. This is a party for us. But the thing I kept thinking about was that the people who we are talking about now, who are the politicians that we're talking about, that we're excited about, are so clearly like full 3D people with lives and stuff and whatever in a way that I don't think happened before. True? False? Am I overly Mary Sunshine? I, you know, I agree with you in the sense that, yes, um, you know, uh, Stacey Abrams' name started bubbling up like to a trending point on Twitter around like Wednesday, Thursday, right? When Georgia was starting to go blue. And this is a state that, listen, we're not election experts. Nobody's going to go Steve Kornacki slash John King here. But uh, for those of you who are like us and you follow U.S. politics, I mean, you are aware that there are certain states that are always red. And so it is a surprise when it's not that they're getting close to going blue. They actually flip blue. So when Georgia was getting close, Again, Stacey's name started bubbling up and to the credit of those people on social media who were like, credit the person who was on the ground doing the work, they started talking about the fact that this is because of Stacey Abrams. This is because of the work that she was doing after she lost the gubernatorial race. Um, She didn't give up in 2018. She was like, no, I'm devoting all of my energy to getting people registered to vote to making sure people understand what their rights are, to making sure that their votes are not suppressed. And so, yes, her name started coming up. And then, you know, when people start talking about Stacey Abrams, they're like, as you talked about, Duanna, they're like, but wait a minute. She, yes, is politically engaged, obviously. She ran for governor of Georgia, obviously. She does the work she puts in the work. But you know what else she does as part of her work? You know, this is not just a one-dimensional person, to your point, Duanna. This is someone who also relishes in a good, sexy story. She's clearly a woman who loves to talk about desire. She has a personality where, and her part of her brain is reserved for imagination and creativity. And what I love about your point here is that even though people can be multi multi-dimensional, um, I don't think that those dimensions are separate from each other. The imagination required to... Uh, think about a story and develop characters and talk about them um, in in terms of falling in love and their their sex lives and their sexual chemistry. It doesn't, it's not separate from the imagination required to be good at your other job, your job to imagine other ways of engaging the electorate, imagining new ways, right? No, absolutely. And in fact, 
I think it is. I'm not going to go ahead and uh, call the Joe Biden Democratic win uh, a chalk up in its entirety to the fact that Stacey Abrams writes erotica. But I think it's indicative (laughs) of something new, uh, which is to say, I think no matter where you live, if you are listening from Thailand or Zimbabwe. uh, Hi. Thank you. um, But. I think no matter where you live, there has been a time when politicians were meant to be politicians all the time, full stop, right? They're not yes. supposed to care about what they look like or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, have pop culture interests or whatever. That was the big deal with the Obamas, among many other big deals, right? That they were kind of yeah with it and tuned in, um, that they knew stuff. They knew what was up. Uh, and Without it being gratuitous, because like when you look back at, you know, Bill Clinton and the saxophone and Arsenio Hall, there was a, a a certain performativeness there. Yeah. Well, I think it was performative that he went on Arsenio Hall for sure. But I also think that dude probably was praying for somebody to ask him to play saxophone <laughs> for 20 years and was delighted yeah. that somebody asked. Um, but yeah, like, uh, you know, the the bushes and whatnot. God love them. They just, they weren't necessarily with their finger on the pulse of what was going on. What is exciting about what's changing, uh, maybe, hopefully, is that the people we're now looking at as political actors, people who, like Stacey Abrams, can turn a state, can, you know, kind of enact a mission that we really want done, uh, is that they're full, whole, three-dimensional people also. Right. Uh, yeah. Everybody loves to talk about uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, and they will criticize mm-hmm. her clothes or the fact that she was uh, did a spread in. Where was it recently? Was it Vogue that people were Vanity losing? Vanity Fair. It was Vanity Fair that they were losing their shit because of uh, what she wore. And then somebody had to inform the Twitter trolls. Yet You don't get to keep the clothes in Vogue or in <laughs> Vanity Fair, nor do you like you don't just wear what's in your closet. Like, oh, let me just put on my, you know, $15,000 Which is fucking weird, but like, yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, but the Not point- that she doesn't get to keep the clothes, but at this point in 2020, there are people out there who still think that what you wear in a photo shoot is actually yours. Well, I guess the argument could be made that we've never had to pay attention to what politicians wear unless we're castigating somebody for a tan suit or whatever. But as we get to a point where politicians are, you know, we're in the middle of the pandemic, right? I've seen almost every celebrity I used to worship in their pajamas at this point. Yes? Yeah. Um, Like, is it too much to say, I wonder if at this point in time, politicians are becoming the new celebrities? Well, I, I... I think that right now, I don't know that we can answer that question right now, right? It's all so fresh, but I do really love that question as it pertains to someone like Stacey Abrams, because when we talk about celebrities and that that word that we love and hate, relatability, approachability, mm-hmm. right? Brand Q, you know, that their Q factor, um, I think that we are we have to reimagine politicians 
uh, on those standards, relatability, approachability, but how authentic it is. And what I really love about our, or, you know, our focus on her side hustle as a romance novelist or a writer of erotica is that you can't do that and be successful and you can, or you can't attempt to do it without actually needing to know who you're writing for. You can be a politician and push for policy um, on things that make people's lives better. And that's true to a certain extent, talking to them about how their families operate, how much they need every month to be able to put food on the table, what their concerns are related to healthcare and related to insurance and all of that. But the other dimension with your electorate, people who vote for you, your constituents, is knowing them as people and what their other desires are. You know, what they think about love and romance and relationships and fantasy, to see your constituents as multidimensional people. So when we're talking about multidimensional, it's not just the politician. It's the ability for the politician to see who they're serving is multidimensional. Yeah. And because most people hope that in non-election years, they don't have to think about policy, right? They Most people living their lives are thinking about the kind of prosaic things that are going on in their lives. Uh, who am I with or not with? How is my relationship at my job, with my family, with my whatever? They're very human issues. And of course, you know, am I healthy? Am I not? Can I take care of myself and my family and so on and so forth? But the goal is for, like, that's the purpose of that joke about, like, Joe Biden won, now everybody can go back to brunch, right? The idea is that if you trust in your elected officials, that you don't actually have to think about these life or death issues about the Mm -hmm. governance of your country every day. Uh, And somebody who, to your point, understands the actual literal human condition, Um, people have passion, they have fantasy, they they want human connection is uniquely placed to be able to serve people mm-hmm. in, in a different way than used to be the case. So to answer your question about the new celebrity, I think the reason why so many people, us included perhaps, wherever you live, have, have lost faith in the political process is because you we don't trust that those people, first of all, I mean, there's beyond con- corruption and beyond... Um, you know, special interests and all of that right. is, you know, at some point the when they say, I understand you, it has become platitude because all of us have just become a statistic. And, and when someone like Stacey Abrams comes along who herself isn't a statistic, who, you know, understands policy, understands healthcare, understands voters' rights, all of that, but also as a side hustle is out there researching desire Uh and fantasy and passion, specifically, let's face it, the genre of erotica and all of that is geared towards a very female base. Yeah, absolutely. That's who the customers are for sure. And I'm sure that it could get much more narrow uh, demographic-wise, and they could tell us exactly what age and economic status the women are who are buying these books. 
I have already yeah. bought one during the course of this conversation. <laughs> but yes, go on. Well, to me, it's a template. And it's a more, again, a buzzword, authentic template than somebody doing an interview and letting you into their home. And here's my dog. Here's what my kitchen looks like. It is a way to get personal without actually revealing the most personal details. In fact, it's more intimate without actually like fucking, I don't know, spreading your legs or going like, oh, here's my blood type and here's the argument I had with my husband and here's what my kids eat. You know, it's another level of intimacy that is, fuck, it's so smart. Yeah, but you know why though? It's because actually, truly, it's not that like we have mistaken, we've had sort of mistaken impressions of intimacy for a while, which is to say, uh, you're right. It used to be that if you have a favorite celebrity or whatever, you learn everything you can about them, right? What is, what is their favorite hair color? What are their children's names? The amount of trivia that you and I could spout right now about Beyonce or uh, God, I don't know, the, the Spears family or whatever, there's a lot of real estate taken up, right? But that's yeah. also because that used to be kind of the mark of how you knew somebody because the idea that Beyonce would know you was absolutely a mm-hmm. fallacy, right? This is next level. You don't need to know that much about Stacey Abrams, about her living room, and her blood type and whatever else you were saying, because the logic goes, she knows you. Mm-hmm. And isn't that like next level? Isn't that the yes. intimacy that people are craving? It's not just, oh, I could be close to this person if I know everything about them. It's, oh, if I'm anywhere close to this person, I will be or feel seen. Yeah. And that is kind of what what everybody's working towards, right? And the thing is, is that like, perhaps this is self-serving because you and I are both writers, but you can't be a writer unless you understand or at least attempt to. The whole point of your existence is to understand the human condition. Do politicians claim to understand the human condition? That is their promise. But if there is no writer in the world who's work isn't based on the story of the human condition. And this woman, politician, is somebody who's a storyteller. Who understands the human condition, which is not That's the same right. thing as living it. You know, I'm reminded of a really incredible conversation that we had uh, with Taylor Jenkins Reid mm-hmm. uh, about a year and a half ago. And she was talking about her book, Daisy Jones and the Six, and talking about how She, uh, in writing about a band in the 70s, was neither a man nor somebody who was musical, nor was she somebody who had ever engaged in any kind of, of drug use. And her discussion of the drugs, of the musical minutia, of the whatever else was so authentic that people were constantly assuming she was A, a man. Uh, and be super musical and so on and so forth. And we'll link to that discussion, but I think it illustrates your point because what she understood in her bones 
isn't about drugs or music or whatever, or, you know, being a man. It's about the human condition. In that case, it's about ambition and creation and success and failure. And she's seeking to understand, which means you can speak for a lot of people. And I think that is what people are really feeling, even if they don't articulate it, from a Stacey Abrams, from an Alexio Ocasio-Cortez, uh, from the really different looking politicians than we have seen in the past. And I think that's that's what's newly attractive and also why, let's be honest, we were all watching like cable television news for the first time in four years on a loop, right? Yeah. And to go back to, you know, the request from a lot of people who wanted us to talk about the show your work of Stacey Abrams, we may have taken it in a direction that you didn't expect, but to go back to that actual work of getting voters registered um, in record numbers to turn a state that has been historically traditionally red and flip it blue, for sure. The hustle is there, your traditional methods going door to door and talking to people and the grunt work of all of that. But the nuance here, which I hope people pay attention to and study is that lots of people can go door to door. Lots of people can put up posters. Lots of people can make phone calls. What is the difference between the way Stacey Abrams did it and somebody else who may have made that same attempt? It's that here is someone, I'm telling you, someone who writes romance novels, someone who is a storyteller, who understands the human condition, who understands people's fantasies. And when you understand people's fantasies, particularly women's fantasies and disenfranchised women, you know, we're talking about a Southern state. We're talking about um, how that Stacey Abrams and her team mobilized voters who didn't participate or weren't engaged in the process because of suppression, but perhaps also because of a feeling of helplessness, of you know, what, what can this country do for me? It, it has ignored me. Mm-hmm. How she was able to convince and connect those people, how she was able to give them a hope and a dream that you do understand through writing and perhaps writing fantasy. If fantasy isn't a hope, an ideal, an illusion, <laughs> then right. what is it, right? So to go back to your questions and your suggestions about the work of Stacey Abrams and the show your work of it, you cannot separate her understanding of desire, fantasy, um, sexuality, and all that goes into that area of her work with the work she was doing on the ground in Georgia. I I don't think so. I really love that because it is about individuals, right? That's the thing. Any romance novel is about specific characters and the particular quirks and bumps of their personalities and how they fit together, pun intended or not, however you like, right? It's about seeing people for individual people. Um, and so that really is the skill. The fact that she has a big smile and people love talking to her and so forth is a side benefit, but that's not the reason that she was so successful. That's not the reason that she was able to turn Georgia blue. That's not the magic. I bring that up because there's a a kind of related issue. Uh, We had somebody sending us, uh, and I think you have their name, a piece in Vanity Fair 
about Joe Biden's campaign manager, whose name is Jen O'Malley Dillon. Uh, And the piece, which we'll also link to, talks about her particular strategy and why she was the architect of what ultimately became the win. But I want to read you this one paragraph in the piece that kind of bugged me a little bit. Uh, They do sort of five or six or eight paragraphs about who she is and what her profile was and what other uh, campaigns she had worked on. And then a new paragraph begins with, uh, all while maintaining a low media profile. Uh, Dylan is hardly a recluse, though her husband Patrick, also a political strategist and an Obama Mm -hmm. White House alumnus, is a feistier and funnier presence on Twitter. Why does that matter? We've Mm -hmm. just finished saying that she is the woman who steered this campaign where it was going. Uh, And then we have to hear about her husband, Patrick. This is the first time that he was introduced in this piece, is a funnier and feistier presence on Twitter. Look, I love Twitter, but I don't care. I don't want this to be in a profile about her and about her brain and strategy and work that got us here in the first place. Am I being too crotchety? No, uh, that, uh, that, like, I, I bumped up against that too in that piece. I, I, there was, what was the relevance? Like, the point is, the point, the main thesis of that paragraph is, here's one of those operatives who, and I think that what the writer was trying to say also in like a very subtle, shady way is here's a political operative who doesn't want the shine, right? Their job, her job is to be behind the scenes and to be like some people and bless them. I mean, you and I are in show business. I don't know if we know how this feels, but you and I, um, there are some people in, in this, in this field who are like, I'm satisfied with the result. I don't need the, the public credit. (laughs) <laughs> I say this because in show business, we're all about living in the lights. But look, I'm um, I'm married to one and it still <laughs> freaks me out. I still don't understand it. But uh, yeah, yeah, there are people who legit do not need the spotlight. I know. And so I think the point, the thesis was also in contrast to so many of the operatives in the Trump administration who, of course, need to be seen and heard all day long. So you made your point with the fact that Jen O'Malley Dillon is quiet on Twitter, um, isn't a household name. Certainly not a lot of people on, you know, the 24-hour news shows on the cable network shows were mentioning Jen O'Malley Dillon. um, And that is also refreshing. So why you need to contrast that with, oh, but her husband is super Twittery. This is, uh, you're right. And it's frustrating. it's an, an unnecessary editorial detail. Like if, you know, I wonder if you were editing that piece, if you were the editor of that piece, you would have been like, can we cross this out? What's the point? You've made your point. Or uh, or it was somebody who had pitched this piece on her, hey, we should profile this woman. Uh, and somebody else said, well, she doesn't really have a big profile. Uh, and so that line was to sort of explain it away. Um, you know, because there is so much branding going on right now. Uh, you know what is the first hit? Uh, it, like if you Google the squad, does everybody know who the squad is at this point? 
Uh, the squad is a group of four women elected in the 2018 uh, House of Representative elections, all young or young-ish women of color. Uh, we've already talked about Ocasio-Cortez a lot. Uh, Ilan Omar, Ayanna Presley, who's from Massachusetts, and Rashida Tlaib, uh, I hope I pronounced mm-hmm. that right, um, from Michigan. Um, and yeah, they say all women of color under 50. So sure, we'll accept that as young women. Um, but there is branding happening everywhere. And that piece about the campaign manager, especially because I suppose there are people who are now household names, David Axelrod and David Plouffe are two Obama campaign manager types who were big, big deals, right? Kellyanne Um, Conway, obviously. Kellyanne Conway, for sure. But uh, I'm thinking of Jon Favreau, like uh, speechwriter turned TV writer. uh, Podcaster. Yeah, like so many others. Uh, So branding is becoming more and more of a thing in politics. And I think maybe to your point, the people who truly legitimately want to be behind the scenes almost have to it almost seems as though we have to justify why we want to talk about them if everybody else has such a large presence, which is also not the way we want to go, but that's a different problem for a different time. Well, I think it's a larger thing of, you know, what um, President Obama said in one of his pre-election rally speeches where he was like, you know what, if you vote Biden-Harris into office, you're not going to hear from them for weeks on end. They're going to just quietly do their job and ma- not make headlines. And and this is this is the thing about the contrast in profiles. Like, <laughs> the way that the job should be done, as you said, Duanna, is that those are the people you trust to be doing their job so that you cannot think about the jobs half every day that they have to be doing. We, right. you, know, you said this about 20 minutes ago, that you can go about your business talk, like thinking about your fantasies, your desires, <laughs> the fun but shit, honestly, right? That, yeah. That, yeah. And, and so in many ways, it's, it's a small example of the big idea of the 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 elected officials, their work essentially, I mean, of course it should be transparent, but it doesn't have to be the main story every day, the minutia of their work, the way it has been the last four years. I think maybe it's because as we get further and further uh, into whatever we're going to call this generation someday, everybody has to be amazing in the media on camera that Mm -hmm. you then expect them to be a brand, right? I was thinking about that when Kamala Harris was speaking on Saturday night. She's incredible. And in a way where you can tell it's not media training, that's who she is. And so to your point or Obama's point, you're welcome. I just tied those together and said that you and Obama made the same point. Um, (laughs) you kind of want to see that person out and talking all the time, right? Because you're like, you're so good. Mm-hmm. You're so relatable. You're so great. But that's not actually the job. The job mm-hmm. is to actually do the job. And uh, yeah, we don't actually need to see them all the time, whether they are good on camera or not. Well, and to tie it with a big bow with something we always say about celebrity, make yeah. us miss you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Like when we talk about celebrities, 
the compulsion with celebrities is to be in our faces all the time because naturally, as we've discussed with celebrity narcissism and insecurity, there is a there is a compulsion like to be like, if I take a break, if I don't take five movies in a row, if I don't post on Instagram every day, if I don't X, Y, Z, people will forget about me. And the celebrity, we always say the celebrity who willingly goes away in between projects and allows us to miss and imagine and take a break and have a gap between the characters that they play. It's harder than it sounds, as we have seen. But this is something that we talk about in relation to Hollywood all the time. Make us miss you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So not to make everything political, uh, but there was a, a leaked document uh, a few weeks ago from the Republicans uh, hoping to get somebody to say, you know, get out the vote on behalf of the Trump campaign. Uh, and everybody was focused on how many passes there were or, you know, how weird the list was. But I think what is unique to maybe uh, Canadians, I'll be honest, is how many people on that list were Canadian without being noted as being Canadian uh, off the top of my head, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Reynolds, Joshua Jackson, by the way, as if on any of them. <laughs> um, but I think like the only Canadians who were Canadian noted on that list were uh, Pam Anderson and uh, somebody else kind of of that era. There were all these people who were very well-known Canadians. Uh, it reminded me, there's a This American Life story where David Rakoff talked about this probably almost 20 years ago now, about how Canadians instinctively know all other famous Canadians. True? <laughs> I think so. I, 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 I mean, I'm not sure which part of that cracked you up. Sandra Oh was also on that list, also as if, as also if. not noted, <laughs> also not noted as Canadian. Um, but this brings us to, because I bet there are people who don't know, right? Um, mm -hmm. this weekend we lost a legend, a living legend, Alex Trebek, uh, the host of Jeopardy since its inception. Uh, and I think everybody feels just about the same level of devastation. Uh, if you watch Jeopardy, you immediately connected with him, but of course he is, famously Canadian. He's from Sudbury. Uh, there's a great picture of him in front of the big nickel. If you know, yep. you know. <laughs> um, and I kind of found myself wondering whether there was something about him or about his success that was in and of itself Canadian. Well, I, you know, to link it back to our previous discussion about being in the spotlight, when to be in the spotlight, the kind of work that should not be spotlighted. Mm. Um, 
he he did an interview with David Marchese for Vulture a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And there is a paragraph where he says, I do not ever want to be re- like called the star of Jeopardy. I always want to be referred to as the host of Jeopardy. And there are, you know, and he gave a reason why. And it was the ultimate teamwork. Like, you know, if you call me the star, then the game itself is not the star. The contestants themselves are not the star. And those those are the things that should be the star. But also, when he says the word host as opposed to star, the word host is very specific about the fact that it's a job. There are specific job requirements for a host, a television presenter, the host of a game show. And I think that that was also part of his intention to say that like, you know, a star's duties often are just to be the presence. Um, There aren't necessarily ascribed tasks. Whereas I, Alex, have duties. I have tasks. Every day I show up at six o'clock, I have a set of responsibilities. I have a stack of reading to do, this, that, and the other. And I think that that is, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily Canadian, but it is Canadian to um, not want to be so bright or be the me, me, me person. Uh, Yeah, and I think there are, um, you know, there's a double-edged kind of sword there, right, about uh, it's enough just to be in the ring. I don't need to be, yeah, the star of everything. Um, but at the same time, of course, it's in contrast to the fact that Alex Trebek was unquestionably the star of Jeopardy Mm -hmm. because he was synonymous with Jeopardy in a way that like, look, do we think that Pat Sajak can always solve the questions on Wheel of Fortune? (laughs) No, right? Like, no disrespect, but that's not who that guy is, right? Alex Trebek, um, who, when you were talking about host, I also thought about a host job in the most sort of generic sense, which is to make people feel welcome, to bring them in. But he also kind of, let me see if I can, you know, master's thesis this. He kind of was the host of the knowledge. When people rang in with a question and he said, no, I'm sorry. The answer is, of course, blah, blah, blah. You're like, of course. Of course. He, <laughs> he kind of was the host for the knowledge. Like he's escorting yes. the knowledge to the people, to the viewers, you know, yeah. um, which I, I've gone back and forth with myself on whether it's assigning too much significance but I don't think so. I don't think that the outpouring of affection when uh, he was first announced that he was ill and battling cancer or uh, the number of clips that we've seen running around with people saying, I love you, Alex, or saying, you know, the, the big one is, of course, oh, I learned English uh, watching mm-hmm. you on TV. Um, I think his impact is outsized relative to the description of the job hosted a tv game show for 30 some odd years does not fully encompass the the impact that he had is that fair that is fair and yet i think because of his adherence to those job responsibilities incumbent on a host um 
because of that dedication, it, it added to the impact. Do you know what I mean? Like, here is somebody who, as you said, was the escort of the knowledge. But in order to do that, as he said himself and as he revealed himself, he was still, like, after 30 years, showing up at work at 6 o'clock um, in the morning, looking at the questions, the answers, and then researching in the dictionary the pronunciation of said information. I'm going to be honest. I think for a lot of people, when you look at someone who was in their 70s at the time that he gave these interviews and um, revealed all this about his day-to-day work habits, if he had, if we had learned that Alex Trebek knows the job backwards and forwards so well that he was coasting, some of us coast in a job that we've been at for three or four years. But to not coast after 30 plus years... I really do think that part of it is our confidence that even though he was at it for 30 some odd years and is unquestionably the star of Jeopardy, even though he wanted to be referred to as the host, he never coasted. No, and he never coasted partly because it is clear he never got to the point where he thought the job was below him. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at Alex Trebek's career, uh, not only was he hosting the show since, uh, you know, since its inception in, uh, I think it's 84, um, it is, it, there's relatively little else. Like, he was on panelists with some other ABC shows. He shows up at Jimmy Kimmel a lot. You know, he's been on Good Morning America, that kind of thing. Hosty, hosty, host, host. But he's not ever, he was never striving for more. He didn't try to be Barbara Walters or, uh, I don't know, George Stephanopoulos. He was never trying to get elsewhere. He was happy and contented and delighted to do that job to the best of his abilities. And maybe that's not true. Maybe somebody else would say, uh, oh no, actually, blah, blah, blah. But he certainly never gave that impression in 30 plus years of hosting that show. And the thing is, is that, you know, the reason why I kind of want to focus on that aspect or highlight that aspect in our conversation is because our show is about the work of celebrities in all kinds of areas, right? From soap opera actors to primetime actors to film actors. And I think all of us have had the experience where you're watching an actor who's been on whatever, a primetime drama, and it's going into year five or six, and you can see they've checked out. Oh, yeah. Let's, yes. I, I don't feel like we need to name any names, but we all know, right? We all know. And especially back in the day. I mean, right now we're in this golden era of television But now in this golden era of television, actors don't really commit to series beyond a certain number of seasons. Whereas in the past, you were going looking at like season nine or 10 and you could see the eyes were dull, like, you know, everything was rote. So for a person in this business to have a job for 30 plus years and not just coast, but to like to be as engaged and passionate and into it as Alex Trebek was, I mean, it, it, it hits all the boxes that we, we talk about. It's even like, 
when we when we had that conversation maybe last year about soap operas and how that's a certain training ground for some of the best actors because of the amount of script that you have to learn in a short amount of time and how much you're shooting. Um, and inevitably, all of them move on, right? Julianne Moore, Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan. But how that discipline, the discipline of being in soap opera, in daytime TV, prepares you for a certain kind of work in Hollywood. Like, think about the discipline that Alex Trebek summoned every day for 30 plus years to not just know his material, but to care about it so much and compare it to the people whose eyes have glazed over because they're in season four of the same character that they're playing for 22 episodes. 22 episodes, that's a fucking joke for him. You know what I mean? Oh, I do. And I mean, I think that this kind of goes back to my earlier point of, you know, there's one thing where you can say, yeah, it's been 30 plus years for him, but it's the first time for each new contestant on the show, right? Yes. Unless you're Ken Jennings. Like, they need you to be Alex Trebek for them. But I also come back to, like, the anthropomorphizing of it. Like, it's almost like I see him as the cool kid escorting knowledge into the world. Like, there's a whole bunch of arcane shit that we don't know, but if Alex Trebek knows it, then it seems like it's cool enough that I should know it. And I get, and I know that he has a ton of researchers who create and curate and all the rest, all of the, all of the clues. But to your point, he researched them and made sure he knew pronunciations and whatnot because they mattered, gave them the respect that made them uh, important enough to have a place on primetime television for 30 plus years. And the only person who I feel is as linked to sort of a topic is um, when I say LeVar Burton, what do you think of? Mm. Rainbow. Reading. Reading Rainbow. Yeah. No question. Yeah. He's had other roles. Some people say Jordy LaForge, but it was never like, oh, look at this actor who's now on Star mm -hmm. Trek. It was LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow who loves books is now on Star Trek. Uh, and yeah. it's sort of, yeah, it's a weird thing where they seem like the big brother of the information that's kind of escorting it into popular culture. And I guess, I guess for me, to me, the big takeaway here is, you know, our show is about work and, uh, in, in these times in 2020, uh, it's rare to, to do a thing for, for a long time, you know, in the real life application of it, we know there's a generation of, of workers, of, of employees out there who, um, and they talk about this all the time, right? The instability of the gig economy, economy the, the, the fact that everybody has to have a side hustle um, and that we're all doing eight things at the same time, that it is for sure a luxury to have one job and to do it for a long time. Yeah. And yet- I, I do think that there is something to, there is something magical to aspiring to having one job for a long time. If, is that possible for everybody? No. Can it be? Could it be something that we, can it be something that we romanticize once again? 
you know, we have romanticized the idea of side hustles, the idea of the multi-hyphenate, so to speak. Hi, J-Lo. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but can we also, in the same breath, at the same time, romanticize coming to a point for, for those who wish it, for those who are built for it, romanticize having a job that you fall in love with and doing it excellently forever. Well, but you just said it right there, that you fall in love with and do excellently. The people who have a job that they do excellently for years and years and years are people who believe that that job is valid even when other people are trying to leapfrog over it. Mm -hmm. Um, So weird case in point, but I think you'll get where I'm going here. Uh, Dr. Pimple Popper, uh, Dr. Mm. Sandra Lee, right, is somebody who uh, really loved the minutia of her extraction dermatology business. And the videos that she makes today are the same as they were, you know, five, 10 years ago before she was famous, right? It's the same level of things. Yep. She's never in the videos tossing her hair around. Um, and I think it's that similar lack of thirst for lack of a better word, right? Yeah. It's, this is what Jeopardy requires. This is what Dr. Pimple Popper requires. God, this is what Dr. Anthony Fauci's job requires, right? Like how long did he have that job? Has he had that job? Something like another 30 odd years. Six presidencies, apparently they keep saying, right? Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that you have to believe that your job is fascinating and worth doing well, or alternately, that your private interest that nobody else seems interested in is fascinating and worth devoting time and care to um, in order to become that kind of three-decade, four-decade career-long person. We love you, Alex Trebek. Thanks for repping Canada uh, for so long. Yeah. I mean, his last episode, just FYI, if you haven't heard, is December 25th. Um, he, I believe they say his last day in the studio was October 29th. So in, presumably that was the last episode he shot. Um, uh, one of the things that people, uh, I read, um, he had previously said that he wanted to know when it was his last episode because he would sign off in a certain, he, oh, wow. he had asked for 30 seconds. So I don't know. They haven't really given any information, but I mean, that's, you know, tune in December 25th, to see if, you know, what his, what he wished for they were able to do. Yeah. And it's, it's too soon to speculate about the future of Jeopardy or who could step into those shoes. But if you guys have ideas of people who have the uh, kind of gravitas and uh, whimsy to to carry both, uh, send us a note. Would love to hear it. And know that it's, if I don't know if it's too soon, but he wanted the show to go on. He talked all the time about, you know, what the qualifications for the next host would be. So um, it would not be out of line with his wishes to be like, please continue Jeopardy and continue to think about the work required to make it go forward. Absolutely. As always, thank you so much for listening, for caring about work, for your suggestions. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe and leave comments and reviews. 
show your work, show us what you want to hear about work, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.